This is the Good News Report, where we look past the fear-mongering of the establishment media to hear of all of the victories being won on a daily basis. Let's begin. Back, everyone, to the Good News Report. Glad you're joining me this week. There was quite a few victories this week that I wanted us to discuss. Some are out of America, some are out of a couple other countries, but hey, we're going to report on the good news when it pops up. First off, there was a major election challenge victory in Georgia, which when I was reading up on this, a lot of mainstream media outlets were reporting it as if it was just a Republican or a mega victory. It wasn't. This is a victory for the American people. Now, I'm going to read part of an article that I that I found on this subject, but take it with a grain of salt because a lot of it is indeed pushing this idea that this is solely a Republican win. And it reads, Republicans have welcomed a Georgia court ruling that a campaign group's move to challenge the eligibility of hundreds of thousands of voters ahead of the state's 2021 Senate runoff elections didn't violate the Voting Rights Act. Fair Fight, a group formed to combat voter suppression, particularly of voters of color and young voters, brought the case against True the Vote after the nonprofit supported legal cases suggesting 364,000 Georgia voters appeared to be ineligible to vote due to change in residency. In his ruling, Judge Steve Jones of the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Georgia concluded Fair Fight had failed to show True the Vote's actions were illegal under Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act, which outlaws any bid to intimidate, threaten, or coerce, or attempt to intimidate voters. However, he did also criticize True the Vote, claiming the group was responsible for facilitating a mass number of seemingly frivolous challenges and that the list of voters challenged by the group utterly lacked reliability. While Jones's ruling only applies to the Northern District of Georgia, it has national implications given the growing conflict over election integrity between Democrats and Republicans. Most notably, former President Trump, who's also a frontrunner for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, is continuing to claim the 2020 election was stolen from him despite this claim being repeatedly rejected in court and by independent legal experts. Fair Fight launched its legal action against True the Vote in December 2020 after True the Vote backed challenges to the eligibility of hundreds of thousands of Georgia voters before keynote runoff elections in 2021, which saw Democrats secure both of the state's Senate seats. This gave President Joe Biden a wafer-thin majority in the chamber thanks to Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote. Now, what's interesting about this whole situation, this whole legal battle, is that if the apropos and legal for True the Vote is there and set in stone for, for True the Vote to actually question and to also verify voter rolls, is it not also proper for a president? So for President Trump to therefore be questioning the validity of these votes which which are of a significant enough value that they can sway an entire election. And as I said, reading up on this whole story, I found a, an article by Newsweek and they had interviewed a woman who said this, quote, this entire ordeal started because American voters want trustworthy elections, starting with accurate voter rolls. The state of Georgia only conducts its review of its voter rolls in the first six months of every odd year. That's outrageously insufficient. I completely agree with her. As a consequence, tens of thousands of voters are ineligible, yet still actively voting. Many states have similarly substandard processes. 
Citizens must engage as we did and will continue to do to bring improvements to electoral processes. I'm very pleased with this. This is not a Republican win. It's not a Democrat win. This is an American win. Moving on. Ohio's House's overridden governor's veto of a bill that would have protected children and women's sports. Governor Mike DeWine's veto of House Bill 68, which is called the Saving Ohio's Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or the SAFE Act, which was designed to primarily protect parents and children from any administration of puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones or any kind of mutilating surgeries in the name of identity for minors. And the bill also includes the Save Women's Sports Act, which would have required single-sex teams and sports at schools, states' institutions of, of education, private colleges, and the list goes on. And it would have prevented girls from having to share locker rooms with biological males. And the main groups reporting on this is, of course, one of my favorites, Alliance Defending Freedom. And Christina Kiefer of ADF said this, Women and girls deserve a fair and level playing field. Yet when males are allowed to enter the women's sports arena, they have clear biological advantages that result in female athletes losing medals, podium spots, public recognition, and opportunities to compete. And no young woman should be forced to share a locker room with a male. By ignoring science and common sense, girls and women become the victims. Sadly, activists are, have rejected reality and chosen ideology over what's just for women and girls. We applaud the Ohio House of Representatives for overriding the governor's veto of the SAFE Act. Now we urge the Senate to follow suit, enact the SAVE Women's Sports Act, and join the growing number of states protecting female athletes. And she continues on with her quote. So we have the Ohio House, which has overridden the veto, and now we need the Senate to finalize the act. And this is where I thank God for such a process and a system as to what United States has, not only on the federal level, but even on the state level with the, the high degree of accountability and the, the safety net that there is in having the various branches of the government and how if one doesn't agree with another, there is a, a legal process that they can go through, which we are seeing here played out for us. I am critical of the system itself. Absolutely. But it's actually a system that's being abused. It's not a system that needs absolute reformation or needs to be torn down in totality. So I'm really happy to see that the system is indeed working. And this is one, just one story that we can point people towards to show them that it is working and it doesn't need reform. We just need to make sure that it's not being abused. Next up, we have Senator Tim Scott and James Lankford, as well as Representative Virginia Fox, who have introduced legislation to protect parental rights. And for any of those asking, I will I do not support Senator Tim Scott for president. Uh, I think James Lankford is a great senator. I don't support all of his actions or, or the things that he has done, but he is a very good politician. And I don't mean that in a in a negative way, because if I say you're a good politician, typically, it means that you're very corrupt and you know how to play the game in the system. But James Lankford is very, very good with regards to putting forward legitimate pieces of legislation and I guess I will say, maybe not a good politician, he is a credible politician. He doesn't utilize the system itself for his own personal gain. He uses it in order to do his the real job of a politician. All that to say, this piece of legislation 
is entitled the Families, Rights, and Responsibilities Act. And the main goal of it is to specifically prevent the federal government from getting involved in the God-given rights of parents and would also allow parents to use the violation of this right in judicial or administration proceedings, both on the federal or on the state level. Now, Tim Scott said this about the bill. Parents have a fundamental right to control the upbringing of their children, whether it's in the classroom or at home. Yet far too often, parents are being pushed out of their child's lives and kids are paying the price. I'm fighting to put parents back in the driver's seat and ensure they remain the lead decision maker in their child's life. I totally agree with this. I also see this could be completely politically motivated for Scott. Again, he's running for the position of the official GOP nominee for president of the United States. And I kind of see this as just a, a token for him, at least, maybe not for Lankford or for Virginia Fox, who have both proposed this bill. But then again, I'm just happy to see some sort of positive piece of legislation that is credible in protecting a God-given right, which is for parents to raise their children in the way that they see fit. I'm just happy to see some sort of good legislation coming out of DC these days. Moving on. Anthony Fauci, everybody's favorite little gnome, has finally admitted the truth about the evidence behind the, the C-19 guidelines, at least with regards to social distancing. After two days of testimony behind closed doors to the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, the House Oversight Committee actually revealed that Fauci had claimed that the six feet apart social distancing recommendation, which was promoted by every which federal health official, including the, I mean, it's not just federal, you have the international organizations like the WHO, organizations like Gavi, you have had everybody saying six feet apart social distancing is based upon science and whatever else have you that they try to justify the stupid, stupid so-called health protocol. He said that it, that it was not likely based on any data. And he characterized this development of guidance, stating that it just sort of appeared. Literally, he said, it sort of just appeared. Really? So you have, this is just further justification for every American, every individual anywhere in the world to be very skeptical of any kind of health guidance being pushed out by their respective governments. As I was reading into the story, I found Representative Brad Wenstrup from Ohio, who is the, the panel's chairman. He said that Fauci had admitted to all those politicians, all the legislators, that, quote, the policies and mandates he promoted may unfortunately increase vaccine hesitancy for years to come. No, duh. And is that a bad thing? I actually don't think it's a terrible thing. Uh, again, I think you should be skeptical of anything health officials or government officials are pushing out at you after working in the system itself. I was I was skeptical of the system when I was in the system. So being outside of it, reading like statements or guidelines or, or the issuance of specific guidelines by government or health officials, I am always, always skeptical. What is the other angle to this? Who is benefiting from this? Why are they pushing this? Who's involved? All those different things. Because the system, though it's not meant to serve those working in the system, it's unfortunately being abused to where it's, you know, helping those in the system the most, as we've seen with Fauci and many, many others. Now, Wenstrup also stated that he, that Fauci testified that the Labneek hypothesis, which had people banned off of social media and people lost their livelihoods over this, was in fact not a conspiracy theory. What a shocker. All of those, all of those whistleblowers who were saying that it actually was a lab leak, hmm, 
Hmm. Fauci himself is confirming that it was not, in fact, a conspiracy theory. Uh, and I also remember, hmm, who worked alongside Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to suppress these very so-called conspiracy theories, which we now find out from Fauci were actually, indeed, not just theories. Uh-huh. We saw the federal government working alongside the private sector in order to control the information. What a shocker. And with the whole lab leak theory, who was funding the lab? Hmm. We won't get too much into that because I don't want us banned, but it's these are, these are all things that you should be looking into. Who wants this information suppressed? Why do they want it suppressed? Specifically about the lab leak. You, you have to do your own digging on this one. And for anybody who doesn't know about the lab leak theory, it claims that the, the virus, that C19, was actually released from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China and not from natural sources as Fauci initially claimed them to be from. Mm-hmm. So it was inconvenient to point back to a lab which was receiving federal funding from a certain country. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. Now, the release also from the House Oversight Committee also noted that the admission came nearly four years after promoting the publication of the now infamous Proximal Origin paper that attempted to really vilify and disprove this hypothesis. The release also stated that Fauci, who denied trying to pressure the CIA on the lab leak theory, quote, played semantics with the definition of a lab leak. Mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci's transcribed interview, it really revealed systematic failures in the public health system and really did shed light on serious procedural concerns with regards to United States public health authority. And what's clear from all this is that dissenting opinions were not often considered or were completely and utterly dismissed because I believe they were completely inconvenient and would have toppled down a lot of the narrative, the control narrative, which saw the rights of individuals completely squashed. It, it was completely and utterly debacle. But the truth always comes out in the end. Unfortunately, it's after people have lost their jobs, their livelihoods, their lives even, to trying to get the truth out. But hey, Healthy distrust in the government and in their propaganda seems to be increasing, which is a good thing. And in my saying that, don't quote me as saying distrust everything the government says. Distrust initially. <laughs> Till you see an original source document. And what is that? Original source just means the policy paper itself or the document from history itself. Or you hear a clip from an individual speaking that is a, an original source, document or an original source. So until you hear those kinds of things, just have a healthy distrust and do your own research. We cannot rely anymore on establishment media anymore to do the work of reporting any kind of just factual anything without any tilt of bias or not of the cap towards their own agenda with regards to what they're reporting. Look for original source documents. That's our duty so that we can find the truth for ourselves. Moving right along. Hertz is to sell off 20,000 electric vehicles and a shift back towards gas-powered cars. This one was like, oh heck yeah, it hurts. Sorry, really bad dad joke. Um, so this really just shows that there is no demand, no desire to utilize EVs. This isn't about an infrastructure issue. This is about a lack of demand, pure and simple. 
People do not trust EVs, and I do not blame them. I've driven in some. They seem like nice vehicles. But you know what? There's there's a lack of confidence in electric vehicles because they are kind of unreliable. And I just thought it was kind of a funny, a funny story because Canada, I believe it was by 2025 or 2026, either it's a bill in the House of Commons or it's already been passed. I don't remember. But I, I was like, they are going to outright ban gas-powered vehicles by 2025, 2026. That's outrageous, especially not just Canada, but United States too. A lot of the fall, winter, even going into spring months, which is a good chunk of everybody's year, is adorned in snow and cold and uncomfortableness for most people. But the reliability that comes from a gas-powered vehicle in those seasons, in those states, in those provinces, there's so much more confidence in that than an electric vehicle. So I just thought it was a kind of ironic story in and amongst everything that we're dealing with regards to the climate cult at this point in time. Anyway, moving right along. Carroll County has approved a so-called controversial book ban policy, which I think is hilarious because it's just a good policy. I am against pornographic books being accessible to children in their government or public schools. So where is this coming from? The Carroll County Board of Education had voted unanimously, which I'm very happy about, in favor of a policy which states that instructional and supplemental materials should not contain any sexually explicit content, which is, this isn't like a right or a left issue. This is just like a common sense, let's protect children issue. Now this decision to tighten up the public school system's book selection process follows a flush of parents who pushed to remove specific book titles last year that contained really disgusting materials that children should not come across, especially if they're in their public school library. And this came from a parental rights organization called Mums for Liberty. And they have been under fire recently. And I think they've been They've been so heavily targeted as of recent because they've been doing really, really credible work in order to protect children from a system that doesn't really care about their innocence. So I'm really happy to see this. And and this points to parents who came together in a coalition under the banner of Moms for Liberty. But there are many others as well who are doing this across the country who just came together, talked with one another, saw what an issue and decided to attack it in order to protect not just their children, but all the children to come through that system in the future. And those who are a part of Moms for Liberty, at least this this chapter in Carroll County, they pointed to the fact this should not be a partisan or a controversial issue, as some of the mainstream media is reporting it to be. This is for the sake of all children, and I'm really grateful that parents are have woken up to what is actually happening in their children's schools. They've not just taken an interest in it or are tweeting about it or talking on Facebook about it, but they're actually going to the the county school boards or getting on the school boards themselves and are actually working towards protecting their kids. It's really cool to see. And finally, something that's not being reported on by next to any European media outlet outside of independent journalists, but I wanted to tell you about it because it's something that is tied towards Canada. Thousands of German farmers are protesting against the government's recent policy 
to cut fuel subsidies. And this is all in an attempt to achieve the government's net zero agenda, which is pretty devastating when you when you think about it. And something that I thought was quite disgusting is how these farmers are manipulatively being smeared as far right, which they are not. I've seen a couple interviews by either people who are present at the protest or those who are these independent journalists interviewing people. These are people who are left of center, center or right of center. And they're all coming together because they are just sick and tired of the government overreach in their lives, which I cannot blame them. It was interesting seeing some of the, this footage. One German uh, farmer actually had his tractor lifted up by a crane next to a busy highway with a sign on it. And he said that it symbolizes the agricultural sector hanging on by a thread. Now, if we understand history, farmers have always had a, a target on their back by evil men in places of authority who wish to take over a country, not only because of their of the ability for farmers to produce necessary resources for the masses, but also because they own land. And therefore, they're generally very self-sufficient. And this attack by the German government on farmers, it should be very seriously taken by the rest of the world. And we saw it not only here in Germany, but in the Netherlands, and I believe it was Poland. But all of this was really sparked by Canadian truckers and farmers who went and demanded an end to the lockdowns and the horrific mandates back in Canada. And they they really did occupy Ottawa and they made their voices heard. For throughout the entire pandemic or government lockdowns is really a better way to describe it. The government enforced lockdowns. We had protests all across the country, but until you show up on a person's front door and you make it inconvenient for them, you, you're in their face. They don't hear you. They don't care what you have to say. Speaking as someone who worked on Parliament Hill, I can't even imagine what the environment and the feeling was for those politicians and those working on the Hill at the time, even Trudeau himself, what it was like to see that every single day as a reminder. That is how you cause change. So I say all this because this was really initiated in Canada and now other countries are adopting the same kind of template per se for protest. And it makes me actually proud of, of the people of Canada and what we accomplished during that time. And further to this, I'm going to finish this episode out with a, a very brief, it's like 15 seconds long, of a choir of female farmers who sang a very popular protest song about political repression and censorship. And they sang it to the German Minister of Agriculture. And the song, I, I cannot say it in, in German, I'm not going to butcher it for you, You'll hear the song and you'll, for those in Germany, you will most likely recognize it. It was actually banned after the 1848 revolution and was popular with the resistance movement in Nazi Germany. And with that, thank you for listening to this episode of the Good News Report. I hope you enjoyed it. Here is the song. Hi,